you're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Max. Before we get started, I want to tell you quickly about uh, Google Play. Did you know that you can now download and listen to audiobooks on Google Play? That's right. With hands-free listening using Google Assistant or Chromecast, you can enjoy thousands of titles a la carte. No subscription necessary. There's even multi-device integration across the Google ecosystem, and I know that you love multi-device integration across the Google ecosystem. Really, you do. You use it all the time. For a limited time, right now, you can get 10 bucks off your first audiobook by visiting g.co slash play slash longform. That's g.co slash play slash longform. Find your story with audiobooks on Google Play. Here's the show. Hello, welcome to the Longform Podcast. I'm Max Linsky. My co-host is Aaron Lammer. He's Hi. here. Evan hey. Ratliff is on sabbatical. Was it, are we calling it a sabbatical now? <laughs> we called it a sabbatical last week. Should we come up with a new term every week? No, I like sabbatical. Is, uh, it's very dad. Yeah, uh, it's it's a real It's a real dad move going on sabbatical. Uh, shouts to Evan Ratliff. He'll be back soon. It's the heart and soul of the show. Um, speaking of heart and soul... My guest this week is uh, Laura June. Ah. Laura June, you might know her from a couple of different places. She was um, at The Verge and uh, has written for all kinds of websites. And then in 2012, she had a kid, a daughter named Zelda. And six months after that, she started writing these pieces uh, about the early days of uh, motherhood and parenting. And uh, they came out right when uh i became a parent and they spoke to me they they uh they hit me on a real gut level aaron and uh Uh, parenting memoir episode we have not uh, (laughs) we have not gone there before and i don't know if we'll ever go there again so uh get it in people this is your parenting episode we are fully there right now laura has uh just written a book it came out last week it's called uh now my heart is full and it is a memoir of her first few years as a parent uh, but it is also the story of her mother who uh, was an alcoholic who died well before Zelda was born and uh, it sort of weaves those two stories together I think becoming a mom herself allowed Laura to sort of think about her own mother in a way she hadn't before uh, the book is great. One other piece of context that people should know Laura's husband is uh, Josh Topolsky who's been on this show before. Check out his long-form podcast with host Aaron Lammer. 
I will I will say that I think it's quite possible that much more is revealed about Josh Topolsky in this episode than was in his own episode of the podcast. I uh, I uh, look forward to hearing that. She was also fe- previously a features editor, right? So she's like been behind yeah, some she of was the, a, a lot of the stories we've had on. on yeah, and site. and uh, she's had stories on reported stuff on long form before. Uh, she's written for the Cut, all kinds of places, and uh, it was a great conversation. We are brought to you, as always, by the good people at MailChimp. Max, what's going on with that uh, read this summer? Well, it is still the summer. People be reading. Yeah, Go to yeah. readthissummer.com. Shay Serrano has uh, collected a group of authors uh, who he is bringing to the Decatur Book Festival over Labor Day weekend. We did it last year. Shay is up this year. It's a fantastic collection of writers. And uh, if you are looking for a book to read, look no further then read this summer.com. Well, thanks to MailChimp for their ongoing support of uh, the long form podcast. As we, uh, we head deep into the three hundreds. Three Oh four, baby. I got nothing to say about it. I just want to call it out. Uh, here is Max with Laura June. Hi, Laura. Hi, how are you? I'm okay. Good. We are talking on a Wednesday, and yes. uh, this will come out a week from today. Yes. But your book came out in our current time yesterday. Yes, yesterday. Uh, Finally. Yeah. How does it? Uh, how does it feel to have that thing out in the world? It feels really good because only like ten people have read it, so I was ready for real people to read it. I've read it like so many times I will definitely not ever read it again. But it's just I think at at like a certain point you just become or at least I did became very impatient with it. Mm-hmm. Um I was really chill until like maybe a month ago and then I was kind of like, oh come on. <laughs> You're just ready for it to be out in the world? Yeah, I'm ready. Ready because you want to see what's going to happen, ready to see what the reaction is, like what's the thing that you're uh that you were so well, eagerly anticipating. To be perfectly honest, I'm a person who doesn't dwell on things very well, which is obviously doesn't seem apparent from the book. But like, I'm yeah, it's, ready to move. It's true of so I'm, many memoirs. Yeah, I'm ready to move on, like professionally to a new project, which I have been doing since I finished the book, which was almost a year ago. Um, so I've been working on something else, but it feels like an unfinished thing. I am you know, excited to like go out and talk to people about it because I really haven't publicly published very much in the past year and a half, which is strange for me because when I started writing about my daughter and my life, I was constantly getting feedback and emails from total strangers. And it felt like I was like sort of part of a dialogue. And Mm -hmm. I think when you go into this mode where you're like, not really engaging with the world in that way that you've been doing for the first 10 years of my writing career. You're definitely missing something. Yeah. Um, Are so, you, is it just like uh, dopamine? No. I mean, you know, it's really strange. I remember whenever I first met my editor in person, she was like, you know, you're writing about your life. You have to be really prepared for bad feedback. And I was like, well, I've been working on the internet for 10 years. My skin is so thick, like, I do not give a shit what anyone thinks. I don't care if people hate it. I don't care if they love it. 
that's not completely true, obviously. I think for me, my main, the thing I was like most interested to feel and, and to hear about was like people I knew reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had, you know, some family and friends read it in various stages, but most of them haven't. So that's really interesting why, to see. Yeah, why is that? Why Why do you think you're eager to hear what those well, people thought? Well, first of all, obviously I'm pretty nervous because, you know, the book's about my mother a lot and there were like a lot of people in the world who loved my mother a lot and some of them knew that she was an alcoholic, some of them didn't. There's various degrees of knowledge about that, mm-hmm. but none of them really knew besides maybe my father and my three brothers that like inner circle like sort of what we went through i was also sort of interested to see like if people were angry at me for saying it these are things people don't really talk about a lot of the time even though i tried to be sort of generous so now that like aunts and uncles and cousins and old friends are reading it you know it's like sort of weirdly like not to sound silly but like it's a weirdly like profound thing to it's a really different experience to show your some version of your real self emotionally and intellectually to strangers than it is to do that to your family or your friends. Did you let people know that it was coming? So my dad sort of picked up the slack for me. He's in the book a little bit, but he is a very guarded, sort of silent person, mostly talks about sports. And I don't think he really had read most of my work. Um, He's like not on Facebook. He's not really like keyed in. So when I sold the book and I told him about it, I think he just assumed like, oh, you're writing a book about parenting. And I sort of let him think that for a while. And then I think he started to get from like my brothers and stuff the sense that maybe it was a little bit more than that. Mm-hmm. But I really never told him. I just like dropped a galley on him. It was like printed and done, had a cover. And I just sent it to him and he like read it in two days and and I just waited and he loved it it was amazing to have him did he respond by like just talking to you in like sports metaphors no actually it was really strange because he came to visit and stay with us for maybe a week like pretty soon after he brought his wife my stepmother and they stayed with us and we were alone a lot like while Zelda was at school and I took him down to like pick her up one day and he started talking about it Um, And it was just very emotional because he's not really like the kind of person who he's definitely become softer, especially now that he's like a grandparent. But he's not the kind of person you would you talk about very emotional things with a lot. And I think what he wanted to say to me was he didn't know that I had had this abortion in high school, which my mother had taken me for, which is basically how the book opens, which was once I realized, I was like, oh, all my family, they're going to be so proud. And then it's like, bam, abortion. This is a great <laughs> way to open the book. I had not told him. And I thought, well, I kept meaning to like warn him. And then I just didn't. I just thought, well, it may be easier for him to read it than it would be for him to have this conversation. Um, and he basically was like, I just feel really, really bad that you went through that and didn't feel like you could tell me. Mm-hmm. What is it like to write a book about such recent history. I mean, so part of it is about your mom, which is you're processing stuff from like when you were a a teenager and before, but, and also I guess after, but your daughter's four and a half, Mm -hmm. like you're writing about things that were pretty recent. Yeah. 
I'm interested in what it's like to write about the very recent history and then also to do it in this kind of like book way where yes. you're on this funky timeline. You know, like... Yes, it was very confusing, honestly. Because I remember reading those first pieces that you wrote in the all yep. about becoming a parent and I was just about to become a parent myself mm-hmm. and they were like hugely resonant for me. They were like, very, yeah. you were like six months ahead of me. They were like me. vomit diaries of what was happening every week. Well, it was super real time. Like I just yeah. felt like I was like getting this like a uh, preview basically. Yeah. And I wonder what it's like to like zoom out of that immediacy. It was very strange because I started writing about um, Zelda when she was six months old. And then I did so basically weekly for a year and a half. And then, you know, I started working at The Cut where I kept writing about her, but also was like writing about sort of the politics and of parenting and reproductive issues and stuff. And like when I sold the book, I was already trying to make this outline of she was two and a half when I sold the book and I had to go back to the pregnancy. And I had written about that a little bit for uh, Jezebel because I had a C-section and that's a a sort of like political minefield that I, that was like my first thing that happened in my parenting life where I was like, oh, I have an opinion about this. Mm -hmm. But to go back, I mean, you know how if you have a child, like history moves very fast. Things change very fast. So you do have to, I think that the fact that I had documented it weekly as I was going made it easier for me to go back because I think people always say like, you'll forget this or you'll remember everything about this. I've only found my memory to be like really, really good if I write things down. Mm-hmm. Can we talk a little bit about those early all pieces? Yes. Who are they for? They were for me. <laughs> they were definitely for me, especially the first three. Because the first three were, I just call them vomit, but like they really were. I hadn't, I had been blogging and writing, not about myself for the most part, but for like 10 years when I had Zelda. And then I thought, well, I'll be off for three months and I'll go back. And once the three months came, I was like, not ready. So I quit my job and just stayed home for another three months. And by the time that three months ended, I knew I was not going to stay at home full time. That was driving me insane. (laughs) It was a lot for me. I needed like space to think and work and write, but I I felt like so disconnected from the world that I didn't really have a topic at that point. And so I sort of just sat down and started writing those. Mm -hmm. And it was like not conscious at all. There was no thread to them. There was no narrative. There was no idea. I didn't say like have a great idea in the shower and then sit down and write it. I was literally just sitting down and just whatever comes out, comes out. And then we would edit them. And then after three weeks, there was a space, I think, between the first and the second, but like a long space, like maybe a month. But then once we were like, oh, we should do this weekly. Um, Who's and we? I, I, John and Matt were editing me all at that point. But I also knew Corey and Alex. And Alex had sent me an email to say that he really liked the first or second one. And so I was sort of talking to all of them because they all had never <laughs> written about parenting before, really at all. And it seemed... A weird thing for them to do weekly I think and so they were like actually we would be interested in this and by then I was starting to hear from parents people who I knew from Twitter or not people who I didn't know had kids and like they were sort of 
admitting they did, like, I have a child and <laughs> this really speaks to me. Then I started to think about those people because I realized there's a lot of people in the world who are, you know, relatively young, first timers, and there was not a lot of material like what I was writing. Why do you think that is? Like, why? why I agree that... There's a lot more now. Yeah, but I mean, I like, when you started writing those things, again, like, my wife had just gotten pregnant, I think, when the first one came out, maybe. And it did feel... Uh, it just felt helpful. <laughs> you know, like... It just, terrifyingly like, helpful. Terrifyingly helpful, yeah, is a decent way to put it. But why do you think that that wasn't there as much at that point? You know, I think that what people thought and this is a really complicated topic because i think it's changed pretty f- drastically and pretty fast but i think that when you talk about m- magazines for women historically and it's very unfair to to gender this this way but that is how it has historically been gendered people don't want to read about parenting if they're fathers which is not true most of my feedback early on came from men which was I was not surprised by, but when I would tell people that, they would be surprised. I heard from a lot of fathers who were like, I really love reading this stuff. I think that, you know, women's magazines historically, like of a certain tier, wouldn't touch parenting stuff. Most of them do, at least online now. But five years ago, that wasn't true. I don't know anything about the economics of publishing or advertising online, but I think that it's considered a sort of profoundly unsexy topic. (laughs) You know, young women don't want to read about mommies in the suburbs or whatever. And I think that that's how it's been. We've like sort of split women into people, women who don't have children and don't want to, or women who do and their lives are over. And I think that the reality is now it's very complicated for political and financial reasons. I think that people have fewer children and so they pay a lot more attention to them and they're much more observant. And I think that the space has opened up probably, I think, really started online, but is now sort of moving into books and magazines. And, I, you know, men are writing about parenthood seriously now, too. I just think it's a topic that was not considered like literary fodder for a really long time. I think women in particular are raised not to complain which is not what I was doing, but I think it could be if you have to boil it down to like its base emotion. It's like we are complaining about parenthood, about how hard it is. Mm-hmm. Or the opposite end, you're bragging. There's really no in between. And most of my writing is very in between. Yeah. Um, well, I would describe those. I mean, I hadn't had this thought until right now, but I would describe those, especially those early ones, as just kind of like processing. Yes. Like, just trying to make sense of what the fuck you're doing all day? Yeah. Yes. And I, because I think that you're like in a, in an airport basically with a baby. That's how it felt. I felt really disconnected. She was born in February. So we were inside all the time. My husband Josh went back to work. And, you know, one day at home alone is not that long to me. I could get rid of a day by myself super easily. But with a newborn, it's crazy. The time passes very slow. They're boring, but they change really fast and they need you all the time. And your friends disappear <laughs> for the most part. I Most of my friends didn't have kids. Most of them do now. But I was everyone's at work. The only people on the streets of Greenpoint were like the old ladies shopping. And it was just a weird, you felt like out of sync with the rest of the world. And it just seemed like both simultaneously like really fascinating and very boring. 
And I was a person who was used to like intellectual stimulation and there was none there. Had you written anything that personal before that? No. I have been keeping a diary since I was 10. And I would say that that's probably the closest thing I had done. I'd considered it, but I always came up to the point of like, I would never do that to the people in my family. Well, I I think that's part of what I'm asking about. Like I I had read your stuff and you'd been writing on The Verge and all these places and this amazing like pinball story. Yeah. Like I had been reading it for a while. And before we talked, I went back and tried to look for like anything like that. There was just like a breaking point and it just, yeah. Help me understand that. Like, help me understand why another way of putting what I'm trying to say, I think, is those pieces did not feel out of nowhere. Like, it read like you had been writing in that way before. Yes. You just hadn't shared it. I Yes. And I think that that's accurate. I think that I wrote in the book when I sort of, because in the book I write about starting to write about <laughs> my daughter. I didn't really try to, like, find a voice. I just sort of went with what. I was hearing inside of my head for my whole life and what I had been writing. I think I had been, there had been two like courses of my writing career, which was learning how to like write articles and what someone assigns me something, or I have an idea about circus performers in the 1800s, which is something I'm, I'm going to get to eventually. And then the other part was every day of my life, I would sit down and write what happened or how I felt about it. And I had been writing about my mother for a really long time. And writing about my mother was completely different than writing about Zelda. So it sort of happened in stages. When I was writing about Zelda, I think what happened was there was a there really was a breaking point for me. I didn't want to go back to my old life. I knew that I couldn't. I didn't want to leave the house physically. I wanted to work from home. I wanted to be a freelancer. And yet what I was seeing in my day-to-day life, it was not enough for me, but it was also like so fascinating and so curious to me that I had never really considered motherhood to be interesting, you know? But I think people don't really talk about it that much because when you, like, actually see people, you don't want to spend the whole time talking about some thing that they are going to roll their eyes at and be like, oh, my God, you can't still be thinking about this. But left to my own to sort of, like, process what was going on in the day, I could be fascinated or, like, revolted or just honest about what was going on. And so I think because I had been observant of my own life for so long in that way, I think once I started, it came pretty naturally to me. Mm -hmm. And how connected do you think that is with like, you were saying earlier that you have like a thick skin and you've been on the internet for a long time and you can't really like be bothered with what people think. But like, I wonder a little bit that is part of what I'm interested in that shift I think like Mm -hmm. what do you think about becoming a mom made it so you wanted to put that stuff out in the world like I understand that it's for you but also like it can be for you and in your diary yes I think what happened was like I said I wanted to like work again and I think what happened to me in particular because I was always a very like a loner at heart like I have very close friends I spend tons of time with Josh we were married for a really long time before we had Zelda but I just felt for the first time in my life really lonely and I tried to deal with that in a couple of ways I made some new friends eventually but I felt like I wanted to connect with other people who had 
that experience. And everyone's experience of parenting is universal and very unique, mm -hmm. I think. So a lot of the time I would hear from people who disagreed with me or had a different experience or were offering advice or just wanted to say, like, thank you for writing this. And I think... I think in hindsight, I wanted something which I had not really wanted previously, which was actual feedback. Feedback about writing or parenting? Uh, probably both. I don't know, because I had never published like essays like that before. So I, it was very accidental. And I think that I kept going because I felt like I had a lot of material and it kept being so interesting and people kept responding to me. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean like, I had like viral articles where like hundreds of thousands of people, I was getting like thousand word emails from people. I started like coaching people via email that I didn't know, helping them get their babies to sleep. And I didn't know what I was talking about either, but I was just saying, well, this worked for me. Mm -hmm. And that continued like the entire time I was doing it. And, and I've made like tons of friends just randomly through like meeting up with people who knew me from writing about my life as a mother. And I think that it was very, it was like real mm -hmm. in a way that writing about other things hadn't been before. When you're writing about yourself publicly like that for the first time, and it is like, it is about being real. That's like the whole conceit of those, I feel like. Yes. How did you choose what to keep out? I generally did not write about my marriage. I do in the book a little bit. <laughs> that was partially because Josh is also like a writer and an editor and a, a public person. And it was very weird at first. I He was probably my main concern of like every week for the first couple of months, I would send them to him after they published. But I would be like, yeah, like I mentioned you or you, mentioned so you, this. Like you wouldn't I, show it to him yeah, beforehand. I did at first, but then he was very busy and I was very busy and... I knew he would never say, don't write this. That's not the kind of relationship that we have. Um, and he literally never once, to his credit, took issue with anything that I wrote. And very often, especially in the book, I'm not flattering to either of us, which is, I think, important because I think it's important to recognize that it's a very, it can be very, very hard on a relationship to get a new roommate. And I think that, uh, but I did try to respect that. Actually, it's weird because him and I have been talking about it in the in the course of writing the book. It has become more interesting to me now that we're sort of through the woods of like the really horrible parts, the really strain of the relationship that like I have considered sort of going back and writing about our relationship. Oh, yeah. 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 Because I think it would be helpful for people and useful to be more honest about how stressful it was. I don't think it's that stressful for everyone, but I think it is for lots of people. What was stressful to, about it for you guys? Well, we're stubborn, opinionated people. We knew each other really well for a long time. I think there's some value to what my parents did, which was they were 20 and met each other, and my mom got pregnant, and they got married. And I think they learned together. I was 28 years old when I met Josh. I was 29 when we got married. We did move fast, but we were, I was 36 when Zelda was born. So we were together for a long time. We lived together a long time. We had, we were very busy. We spent most of our extracurricular time together. Um, we had all of the same friends, but we fought always a lot. And that was like sort of like a valuable 
part of our relationship, I felt. The fighting. Yeah, because because I grew up in a family where you didn't really fight. You didn't talk about things. Everyone kept everything to themselves. Josh grew up in a family that was very loud and fought a lot, but they loved each other and there was never any question. Like, he's the kind of person who could... He's changed a lot. He's really mellowed. But, you know, he would get really mad at me and I would be very upset about it. And then he, five minutes later, he would have forgotten about it. And I would be like, oh, okay. So, because in my family, I felt like if there was an argument, it was like a relationship ender. Right. Do you think that's just because, like, the culture of your family was you didn't talk about problems? Yes. I hate to, like, bring religion into it, but they're very Catholic. There was, like, a lot of secret keeping, a lot of, you know, I didn't feel like, I did feel like I could talk to my mom because I think she consciously understood that she had been raised that way and didn't want me to be that way. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I did not have an open relationship with my parents. They were not easy to talk to generally. And Josh was not like that with his family. His parents know everything about him. They knew when he started drinking. They knew if he ever took any drugs. He was just like that. He wouldn't hide things from people, which I found to be exhilarating. And so I felt like our relationship, even though it was not always coherent, was very productive and uh so we were like crazy about each other but when you have a baby if your main mode of like figuring stuff out is like having an argument because both of you think you're right that's gonna really quickly be a super big pain in the ass because you have to make decisions like 500 times a day right and they matter like it seems like life and death every five minutes and so you're like in this power struggle at first and so it quickly a few months in emerged that I was going to be in the power part of because I was spending the most time with her I was still home and I was the one doing the research like he was not like googling rashes and stuff and I'm like very organized obsessed I started like keeping charts of when she was sleeping and when she was eating and and so it just sort of you know when once it emerged that like I was going to make most of the decisions that was that was great we stopped arguing about those things but then I started to resent him for not doing more work. And he started resent to resent me for resenting him. And I think that the early period of a child's life for us uh, lasted like a lot longer than I think people prepare you for. People mm-hmm. say, oh, it'll get easier at three months or no, it's six months or it's a year. I found it to be about three years. But you guys are, I mean, I feel like also... I think I had this timeline right that his professional life was also like wildly changing during that time. Right? It was insane. Like he got this huge Bloomberg job. Insane. It was insane. He, yes, I left The Verge in when Zelda was born, when my maternity leave ended. He left a few months later and went to Bloomberg. He was there for a year, and then he he left Bloomberg. And but in the in all of those periods, he would travel a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Never for like weeks at a time, but he would. it was very common for him to leave and be gone for three or four days or five days. And so it, it emerged that like I was really the only person in the relationship who had ever spent a lot of time alone with Zelda. But she also really quickly, it was apparent, liked him better <laughs> because he was so much nicer to her. Because it's easier to be like in a great mood all the time if you're not taking care of a child 12 hours a day. <laughs> And I'm also like just sort of more structured and I'm the boss is what we like to say. But like a lot of that stuff changes around three, three and a half. They become coherent. They have opinions. It's harder in some ways, but they're much more like of a real person to be around. And the job of parenting, the labor of it lessens insanely. And I think that whatever 
inequality we had at that point in like how much work we were putting in has has really it's pretty equal now we've both sort of reorganized our priorities to be in it together a lot more i think but at first it was definitely unequal and so everyone was mad all the time (laughs) Uh, and at the same time it was like a really awesome experience and she's an amazing child so it was very complicated to feel that way you know to feel like well we love each other we don't want to get divorced but it's really insanely hard sometimes i feel Um, like it was very complicated to feel that way is like a decent header for like (laughs) all of the writing that you have done since you were born yeah can I ask about something else that might be complicated? And if uh, I'm just going to ask it. If, okay, uh, go ahead. It might be an awkward thing. But while you were doing this writing, right? Yes. And it's like very personal stuff about your life and these choices you were making and trying to navigate it. There was, for people who were paying attention, of whom I was one, there was this other strain of like reporting about your family which was about your like husband's career. Yes. And like his like very large salary was like yes. a reported thing. Yes. How did you navigate that? Like at the risk of just like being blunt, like this happened and also you guys got rich. Right. So oh God, we're so much less rich now. <sighs> All the time I'm like, why we could have just stayed at Bloomberg. Um <laughs> No. So, yeah. So what happened was actually this is another, I think, reason that I, in hindsight, but not consciously retooled my career. I had worked with Josh for five years for the most part. I did some other writing, but I had worked with him for five years before Zelda was born. And one of the things I very smartly realized once she was alive was that I did not want to do that anymore. Yeah, that, that seems insane. It was insane to begin with. And it did significantly add to the stress of our lives. We built The Verge together. That was like the structure of our relationship for a year and a half. And that also caused a lot of strain. But we enjoyed it. We loved doing it. We loved to work. And my priorities changed faster once I became a parent than his did. I think he was not completely on the same wavelength as me. I was like, okay, I don't want to work with you anymore. I'm going to work in a different way. And so by the time the Bloomberg stuff happened, I had sort of deviated myself enough from him that I didn't feel like it's it was almost like it was like happening from a remove. I remember the day that it was sort of there was an article in the New York Times saying like, "Oh, he left Bloomberg." We were sitting in the airport in San Francisco waiting to go to my friend's wedding. And it was the first time we had ever left Zelda. And my parents and also her nanny were staying with her. We needed three people to be sure we could leave for three days. And I remember thinking, like, I don't care about this at all. Like, whatever. It's like, it was very stressful for him. But it was like, very much for me, I felt like, I don't know, I do think that like having Zelda reorganized my priorities so much that I felt like anything that happened professionally to us, we would just figure out. Maybe another way of what I was trying to ask. Did I not answer it? No, you did a little bit, but I meant more about the actual money. Oh, so yes. Like whether it entered your mind and how you thought about the fact that there could be people who were like reading these things you were writing that were really personal about how life was hard yes 
And yes. then also they could like click on a different link on Twitter. Yes. And it would be about how like your husband is making tons of money. Yes. Yes. Honestly, no one ever, maybe they just were too polite, but no one ever said it. <laughs> no asshole actually asked you that question. No one ever said it. <laughs> Sorry. But also the, the time that like that salary was existed was very brief. And so I think that like, but we, we owned a house before we, we had Zelda. So we were, I was already privileged in a way that I had not grown up. And in a way that Josh hadn't grown up, we did not come from money. We didn't, you know, Josh didn't graduate from high school. I did go to college, but I did very badly. I had no network when I moved to New York from Pittsburgh. I wouldn't say I was, we weren't like self-made, but I do think that once we started to have some level of success, I was like extremely surprised because <laughs> I hadn't been financially solvent ever and neither had my family, you know? So it was every step of it was sort of like unbelievable to me, but it was also like I was just trying to save money mm-hmm. as as fast as I could because um, all I cared about was never being in debt again because I was in debt all through college and I'm still paying my student loan off <laughs> incredibly and I'm 41. So yeah, I think it's kind of in hindsight, like now that you bring it up, it's it's I thought about it at the time, because like when you write about yourself, privilege is it's something I was acutely aware of in writing the book. It's very easy to sort of disasterize your own life in a way that's not accurate. And I feel really blessed and thankful, even for my mother, who was like kind of a train wreck. You know, my parents didn't beat me. I wasn't abused sexually. And so, and I know plenty of people who have had lives harder and and worse. And I think that Josh and I are still financially better off than most people we know, especially in New York. We're not like living in like a fantastic mansion somewhere, you know, but it's just like, yes, I could afford to buy a car and to move to the suburbs and to put my daughter through school and to have a nanny for her. And that's the whole reason that I'm writing about myself now was I could quit my job and go, I think we can probably be okay with only one salary for like a year. Mm-hmm. I gave myself a year and I put the burden on myself of figuring out how much the nanny would cost. And I was like, I have to offset her completely. I'm going to do it hundred percent myself because I didn't, I grew up with even less financial security than Josh did. I had a mother who hid bills and really fucked things up badly it took my dad like years after they were divorced to sort of sort out their problems and so I was very weird about money for a really long time when Josh and I were married and it wasn't that I didn't trust him or I didn't trust myself but I had just become so protective of of making sure that things were paid I always wanted to manage all of our our finances and I still do so I was just very hyper aware of I'm not like a material person at all. I don't like to shop. I don't care about clothes. I don't care about shoes. I don't care about anything really. But I I do care about sort of like saving money in a sort of like Great Depression way <laughs> because I I was very aware when I was growing up that like you could fuck up super easily. And I don't think that Josh has that perspective at all. He's a little bit more reckless than me. Um, but yeah, so I mean, when he left Bloomberg and decided to start his own business, we had a little bit of a buffer, but not very much. Mm-hmm. And I just said, okay, do it. I trust you. 
I'm going to ask about the, this thing I feel like I've asked you a couple of times once more just because I need some help understanding it. I feel like um, you write about yourself a lot in the book and like a lot about pre-Zelda yeah. you. And the tone of that writing for the most part is like I kind of stuck to myself. Mm-hmm. I didn't share when I had to. Like you were kind of like in the culture of your family. Mm-hmm. Like it took a while for you to open up to people and if and when you did it was pretty rare and I just read the book so like I'm kind of sitting with that person you know yeah and it's striking just to hear you like as sort of like honestly and almost casually as you just did like discuss your family's finances yes that I'm still just trying to Yes. Like nail down that shift. Figure that out. I don't know if I've become better or worse. I'm not sure which was the better version, honestly. But I do think that, and it wasn't just Zelda. I think that it was, I do think it was Josh, which is strange because Josh is very private in a way that I'm not. He doesn't talk about himself. He doesn't write about himself. Um, It's funny. I mean, he came on this podcast years mm -hmm. ago and it was 1000% work. You know what I mean? It was like, let's talk about parallax scrolling yes i think he's not he's changed a little bit but i do think that like he part of our dynamic originally was like one of like i felt bullied a lot i felt like he was always pushing me to talk more and to tell him more about myself and i think that i do think that there was originally a prologue to the book which i deleted or cut which explained the title of the book and also sort of because Josh was the first person to sort of suggest that I would write a book about myself. And he did it not recently, but when I first met him. Uh, when I met him, I lived in Pittsburgh and he lived in New York and I came to stay with him. And then for whatever reason, he ended up driving back with me to Pittsburgh and then he was going to fly back or whatever. So we spent seven and a half hours in the car. I thought, well, we'll listen to music or whatever. Instead, I spent the entire time telling him about my life, and he knew nothing about me. We were from both from Pittsburgh, and we had some friends in common, but I was from the suburbs. He was from the city. We really knew nothing about each other. So I told him, you know, my life story, and he started telling me how he thought, you know, that I would write. He was like, this is a book, and I was like, I would never write about myself. <laughs> and he was like, this is a book, and it should be called Now My Heart is Full which is a Smith song or a Morrissey. It's a Morrissey song, which I was, I don't like Morrissey. So I was like, um, no, that's a horrible idea because I don't even like Morrissey. And so, but I do think that like, that was the original premise of our relationship is he saw me as something that I didn't see myself as, um, which didn't mean that I wasn't interested in, in that, but I just didn't see how I could bridge that gap from the person who I was, which was naturally fairly reserved not with like an inner circle of people I know really well. I feel like I've always been pretty open and honest as I've progressed through adulthood and found people that I know and trust. But even my sister-in-law, who I talked to last night in in the Q&A, Katie Natopoulos, said, oh, one of the things that struck me about the book was like when I read it, like I knew your mother was an alcoholic, but I didn't like know any of the details. I didn't know anything about you. And I've known her for 13 years. And she's kind of similar to me. She, we don't, you know, we, we keep it light. We're like, we make jokes and hang out together and stuff. So I think that there is a, there's a dissonance between the kind of person I am normally and then the person that has sort of emerged in the writing. And I think that, um, 
I'm not fully comfortable with it, but I'm definitely becoming more comfortable with it. Like when I was reading last night, I started crying in front of everyone. So I think I'm getting used to it. I don't know. I don't think I will stop writing about myself, but I'm not sure it's like the only thing that I will do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Does that answer it now? Yeah. That's getting closer to it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think the other thing is like, I'm sort of not surprised to hear that you're like someone who likes to hang out and tell jokes. Yeah. I feel like my experience of you on the internet. Yeah. That's my normal mode. Yeah. So yeah. you want to hang out and tell jokes. And the book is earnest. Yeah. It is. Which is weird. It is weird for me. Because, I mean, that's not like my primary mode of, I think it actually probably is very surprising most of all to my friends because I have lots of friends and I've become more open with them and stuff, but I'm still like not like interested in having like super (laughs) emotional relationships most of the time. I feel like it's often a waste of time. And I think that I've been like a really bad friend to people sometimes growing up because I was like not really emotionally available. I think I've gotten a lot better. I mean, having a kid definitely forces you to. But um, yeah, I think that there was always a a part of me that because I had grown up the way I had grown up, there was something very, very serious and very grave inside of me. But I was, I think this is true of a lot of people who primarily deal in like comedy and jokes is that like something happened or something is inside of them that is really earnest and really sometimes very dark. And I wanted to contextualize it as not dark, but I think there are like funny moments in the book, but I think for the most part, this was a story I couldn't really make a joke out of. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I was okay with it. And I sort of prepared myself for it very slowly. Like when I was writing the essays for the all, a lot of those were funny and a lot of them were serious. I wouldn't say they were earnest. And as I approached the topic of writing a book, I realized like, oh, there's something I've been sort of like circling around this whole time, which is my mom. What do you think she would have thought of the book? I think she would love it. I do. She was not very earnest either, but she was really intelligent and um, very, I think she was like me. I think she would have read it and understood like my intention. And I think she was able to take the truth pretty well from the people who loved her. That doesn't mean I think she wouldn't have been hurt by it, but I think that she would have been proud of me for 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 saying it you know i would have written a different book if she were alive to read it but i guess that that's actually part of what i was asking is like not just how she would have felt about what was in there but also how how she might have felt about what was in there being exposed to all these other people like oh i wouldn't have written about her alcoholism if she were alive i have a lot of friends and family who have long-term been in AA and rehab and stuff, and I don't think that those are stories that are really almost ever okay to be told when the person is alive. Maybe we would have had some kind of relationship where she had been in recovery for a decade and she would have been like, you're a writer, I'm not a writer, let's talk about it or figure it out. But when you write a memoir, you have to be cognizant of the other people who exist and I 
was very generous to my mother too. Actually, the first draft of the book was my editor was basically like, I can feel that you're trying to protect her so much that I can't even tell who she is mm-hmm. at all. And so any stories that came up where my brothers were involved directly or there were a lot of other people, I just completely left them out because I think it's in particular with uh, alcoholism and addiction, which is I'm not ashamed of the fact that she was an alcoholic. I actually, that's part of the reason I wanted to write about it. I know how hard it is to be a parent and I think that it is probably exponentially harder to be an alcoholic and also like a decent parent, which she was most of the time. So I give her a lot of credit for sort of surviving that as well as she did. But I wouldn't have written about her addiction without her permission if she were alive. And even in, in the even in the face of permission, I would have felt very bad about it. I just think it's like a, you know, who owns the right to tell that kind of a story is very much a thing that I would grapple with. Even though alcoholism is like a, a family disease, you know, so it affected me. It didn't affect me the way it affected her. Mm-hmm. She died, you know, and she's been dead a really long time. And so I think that I felt like I had the right to write what I did about her, even if it upset my brothers or my father, which thankfully they have understood. And I think it was emotional for them and has sort of brought us closer together. But I've been through this so many times with so many people and I've struggled myself with drinking and not drinking because I know that it's such a thing for people that I love. Um, and I have such respect for the process of sobriety and what it actually means that I can't really imagine um, doing that to someone who was alive, whether they were sober or not. What do you think Zelda's going to think of all this writing you've done about her? I have no idea. I've definitely exposed her very early personhood. And I've always known that there would be a line where I would have to stop. And I think already there are things that she's said in conversations we've had with each other that I would not document. She has the right to her own identity and private life. And that's part of the reason I didn't really want to write about Josh. You're always writing that line when you're writing about yourself because what is there to say if you're not also talking about the people that you love and how complicated they are? You know, all the people that I love are very complicated. And part of the way that you understand complication is to like make fun of them or (laughs) disparage them and it can be good for a joke or a laugh but like I don't want to actually hurt anyone I'm only looking to explore complexity and to add something to the world that isn't there already what do you think the line is like when uh with Zelda yeah like when I think I think I've approached I think we're about there yeah she's gonna be five she's gonna go to kindergarten she has thoughts all the time that have nothing to do with me anymore. She sits in her room sometimes in the morning. I see her wake up and I don't know what she's thinking about, you know? She knows that I wrote this book. And she was like, yeah, of course, you wrote a book about me and daddy. I'm like, okay. But, you know, I think that I have to close off her space. And I think, you know, there are people who are like legitimately like someone came up to us last night and we're like you know we love Zelda and like I have my Instagram as private but I allow people through that I don't know and so people have watched her grow up 
which is a, a common experience. It's not just people who are like write memoirs. But I have like a lot of complicated and sort of like respect for privacy and and for the privacy of the people that I are closest to me. I would want to protect that and her. Do you think that you'll keep writing about your experience in this way? It seems to me just listening back to what you said, like a big part of this has been cathartic for you and a big part of it has been the space that was available to you as a writer. Yeah. And then also the feedback and reaction and it being helpful for other people has been a big part of it too. And I, I guess I'm wondering whether you can continue to do that but like let her be herself too. So I think that the question sort of answers itself. I think that there's a reason most people um, who write about parenthood tend to do it in the first couple of years of their kids' lives. I think that that's the hard part. I think that by the time they're two, three, four, your life has sort of, you've figured it out. You know, you're working through it. That doesn't mean her life is less interesting to me now than it was before. It definitely isn't. I definitely could pull material if I had to but I'm definitely I I definitely feel less compelled now because I feel like I the only parents I meet who are panicking are still parenting newborns and you know I'm not going to have another child so I think that like that phase of her life where I'm like oh fuck oh fuck oh fuck is really over and now I'm just enjoying my life and I'm like a billion times happier than I have ever been as an adult I think it's partially because I wrote the book, partially because I'm not divorced and like the marriage is like about as good as it's ever been. Zelda's old and, you know, getting ready to go to kindergarten. And I think that like all of those things have sort of converged into, despite the fact that the world sucks worse than it ever has, I feel personally like emotionally like very healthy. I think for me, writing the book was a very good thing. I definitely moved on from not just my early sort of struggles as a mother, but also my relationship with my mom. All that's so good to hear. <laughs> yeah. What do you write about when you're feeling very emotionally healthy? Like, what's uh, what do you do now? So I have a project I've been working on for a few years. It is sort of about myself, <laughs> but not really. The town that I grew up in, which is a suburb outside of Pittsburgh, there was a girl who um, was murdered in the early 80s, and I never knew her. But in my spare time, while I was writing about Zelda, I sort of tracked down her family and got to know them and went on a sort of weird, and they never found out who killed her. And I found like all of the living cops and people and I've sort of become friends with them and sort of been working on that. So I think that I'm going to spend my time focusing on that now, moving forward. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I'm going to. Do something with it. That feels like uh, that feels like something that a healthy person does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's very depressing too, but in a different way. And yeah. the relationships I have with these women, mostly, are really amazing. It's like, and I, I think that like the reason I say it's sort of about me is I do feel like the girl's mom, who I'm not super close with, but we like talk on the phone and stuff. I feel like she's like my like replacement mother to some extent. So, yeah, it feels productive for me because it's, like, not about me. It's about sort of, like, but it is about, like, sort of healing from something that happened a long time ago, which I think is really interesting to me. I'm not only interested in myself, you know. Well, now you're Um, solved. 
You're totally done. That's ugh. some kind of train wreck coming around the corner. <laughs> Laura, thank you for doing this. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Longform. I'm Max Linsky. My co-hosts are Aaron Lammer and Evan Ratliff. Our editor is Janelle Pfeiffer, and our intern is Tyler McCloskey. Our sponsors this week, MailChimp, Read This Summer, Google Play, and Pit Writers, the writing department at the University of Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh happens to be the hometown of Laura June. Her new book is called Now My Heart is Full. We'll see you next week.